0: Okay, so anybody heard of the game Telephone Pictionary? Heard of it? You played it? Okay, well, I'm going to explain it really quickly for those of you who don't know. So this is a great group game. Everybody gets a stack of note cards sitting at a table like you are, and on the top note card, you're given a topic for each round. So maybe I would say, I'd be the game master, and I would say, okay, least favorite household chore or favorite vacation destination, and you write that in words. So for me, it would be scrubbing the toilet. Least favorite house, not my destination for a vacation. (laughs) That too, though, right? Like, I don't want to do that for vacation. Write that down, and then everybody passes their stack to the person on the left. The person who now has the stack looks at the card. They place it behind the stack, and now it's their job to draw a picture of whatever was written on the first card. The stacks are then passed again. And now the person with the stack looks at the picture and on the next card has to write down in words what they just saw. And this goes back and forth till the entire table has passed the stack of cards around. And it alternates between written message and illustrated message until the original player has their stack back and they get to look and see how their original message was interpreted or changed or completely obliterated altogether. I assure you that unless you have a great community of fine artists, In most cases, the first and the last card do not say the same things. So I made the staff here play this game with me last week for the sake of this illustration, and their examples were so good that I wanted to show you a couple of them, all right? So the first round, we did the topic of blockbuster movies. I didn't tell them that they had to put a title, anything related to a blockbuster movie. Ironically, the selection I chose, I've not thought about this movie in years, and then Lenny talked about it last hour. I'm going to do this wrong. Somebody wrote down the last of the Mohicans. Okay, go, go figure. So the last of the Mohicans and the stack gets passed and the next person draws this picture. <laughs> now let's be honest. Again, this is how most of us draw, right? Stick figures. And I mean, I don't remember everything about the last of the Mohicans, but I'm like, okay, I see where they're coming from. So the cards get passed again and the next person interprets this picture as dances with wolves. Okay, at least we're still in the topic of blockbuster films, right? So the cards get passed again, and this next one, really impressed with someone dancing with a wolf. This is pretty good, right? I mean... This is our facilities manager. He was really proud of it. And he said, that's mine. So someone dancing with a wolf. Passed the cards on. And this now gets interpreted. This is where we get a little off base. Vampire. (laughs) Now, I was concerned at two points here. One, maybe. But vampire, is that a blockbuster? Is it a movie at all? And is it a blockbuster? But here we go. We're going to pass the cards again. They get vampire. And our next drawer does a decent job. I could interpret that as a vampire. And so the next person gets us back on track in terms of blockbuster movies a bit. Twilight, regardless of what you think about it. All right, Twilight. And so the last drawer in this round takes the card and says, boy with buck teeth, plus girl with heart mouth, plus dog. And the last person who gets it says, oh, that's the Wizard of Oz. What? Lions and tigers and bears or something like that. Clearly something was lost in translation in this drawing. Matt, I don't think it was an illustration or an introduction as the book jacket thing went. But all right, so then we did one more round, okay, because we were having so much fun. And this topic I gave them was common Pastor Steve phrases. You can imagine the cards that this brought up. And so I had to choose one of the safer examples, which means it isn't quite as much fun. But this person said the common Pastor Steve phrase they wanted us to draw was, Jesus loves the children. I've never heard Steve say that. Like, I'm sure he thinks that's true, but never, okay? So anyway, we're going to pass the cards. We pass the cards, and Jesus loves the children now. We have a big heart with a big person being greater than little people. What? Okay, pass the cards again. We must love the one. Again, I've never heard Steve say that exactly, but... We'll go with it. Pass the cards again. And now we have, I think, the steeple at college church over some people and a heart moving towards one. Okay, maybe. We must love the one. It gets passed again, and the person says, love God first. Again, I'm sure Steve has said that. But Moses did too, I think. So, all right. Next one, then. <laughs> the of marshmallow man with a flat top holding up a newspaper with a heart next to him. <laughs> and it goes to the last player who, again, the topic being common pastor Steve phrases, says, I love the Bible, especially <laughs> when I hold it up like this. <laughs> Clearly, either our staff team needs to become better artists or listen more closely to our senior pastor. I love this game for a lot of reasons. It invokes hysterical laughter, definitely, and it definitely illuminates who in the group are not so great with artwork. But mostly I love how it illuminates the reality that all sorts of factors can impede and interfere with getting an intended message communicated to others. When there is a lack of clarity in the message being communicated, it's hard for everybody to be on the same page or to achieve shared meaning as communication experts tell us is the goal. And it's certainly difficult to have any type of message that will invoke lasting change or results in those who are receiving the message. And this matters, of course, to us as preachers for a number of reasons, but the primary one being that you can be called to preach and have a dynamic message given to you by God to share with others. But if that message is not absorbed and ingested, if it doesn't impact the community into which it's being preached, then the question is, what impact is your work really having? This is that third piece of the transformational preaching nexus that Steve spoke of and drew on the board last night. It forces us to ask, what is the role of the community in transformative preaching? And is it really something that we can alter or shape? Or is this the piece of the puzzle that's out of our control? Do we just have to hope that we're lucky and we find ourselves in a congregation that is dynamic and ripe for being shaped by our passion to preach and the message that God has given to us? Or is there something that we as pastors and leaders are called to do in order to prepare and prime our congregations to be spiritually formed and changed by the message that God has given to us? Let me ask you to do this, just at your table somewhere on a scrap piece of paper on the back of a handout that was given to you, I want you to write something down. I want you to think for about 60 seconds of all the various ministries or departments you have at your church, whether you're in a large church or a small church or something in between, it doesn't matter, just write down the names of various influencing groups in your church, groups that have a message, okay? Take 60 seconds. Ten more seconds. Finish that list. As many as you can think of. Okay, we're going to try to shout these out one at a time. And if you hear one that's already on your list, just go to the next one. But give me some um, ideas of groups that have a message or influence within your church. Say it one more time. Tithers, they say something with their actions, right? Your board, great. Missions committee, yep, good. Sunday schools, schools. yep, and each, every class has a message. Yep, what else? Trustees? Worship team, team. great. Prayer group, group? ladies prayer group, very specific. Yes, they have a message, (laughs) listen. (laughs) Any others on your list? The staff. Yeah, absolutely. Youth ministry. Any others on your list? The Sunday service in itself has a message. It's, it's really amazing when you think about it, because churches are rich with departments and programs and leaders, and each of them are responsible for communicating messages to various parts of the congregation. It's interesting to me to note that so often, these ministry areas operate independently of one another because somehow we've become convinced that certain aspects of our gospel can only be received or are better communicated or understood by certain types of people, whether that be certain ages or certain profiles or in certain settings. And so there is one type of message we think is appropriate for the worship service and one type that is appropriate for outreach activities and still another for small group settings and another in children's ministries, and this goes on and on and on, right? So I started thinking about this intentionally a number of years ago. I was trying to figure out when it was. I think it was about 13 years ago at the time— Uh, I was serving as a worship pastor at a church in Colorado, and my children were very little. And so my family had this routine on Sundays after the last service was over. We would all pile into our minivan, and we lived across town, and so we had a little bit of a commute to get home. And so my husband and I decided we wanted to use this time um, to be very intentional with our kids, to ask them what they had learned at church that morning. And so this is how it went. We'd get in the van. He'd struggle to get everybody buckled in. And then Jim would get behind the wheel and finally he would say, okay, what did you learn at church today, guys? And my daughter, who was two at the time and always quick with the response, every week she would say the same thing. Jim would say, what did you learn at church today, guys? And Ainsley would pipe up from the backseat right away and say, we learned about Jesus And it was incredibly cute, right? But we wanted to be good parents that fostered a little deeper reflection. So we had to develop this subset of questions to get them to go a little further. And so uh, the conversation might go like this. What did you guys learn today at church? We learned about Jesus. And Jim would say, okay, Ainsley, what was Jesus doing? And Ainsley would think for a minute and then she'd go. He was eating fish and crackers. And suddenly we had this context clue that, oh, She heard about the feeding of the 5,000 today, and my five-year-old son, who also had heard this story in his age-appropriate classroom, would chime in with what he learned about that story, and suddenly the van became this conversation place where all of us were talking about the same thing. The kids would get drowsy as we got closer to home, and so as they stopped being so chatty, I would turn to my husband, who had sat through a worship service, but then gone to a discipleship group, and I'd say to him, well, what did you learn at church today? And he might tell me about a book that his small group was reading together, whether that was the book of James or whether it was Mark Batterson's The Circle Maker, and he would talk about that for a while. And then as the kids fell asleep in the car, we might get to the sermon that we both had heard. I'd heard it five times by the time I'd gotten to that point in the day. He'd heard it once, and we could talk a little bit about it. I'm guessing that if I had told this to our preaching pastor at that church, it probably wouldn't be what he wanted to hear that his message was the last thing that we talked about because he was an amazing preacher and he was faithful every week to seek the Lord's guidance for the message that he was to share with those he was called to shepherd. He, like each of us, wanted his message to impact deeply the people that he was leading. But the problem was and is so often, I think, for many of us, that our people's experience on a weekly basis within the church is filled with so many messages, even though they're all good, that they become distracting or competing with one another. And so the question became, how can we as preachers partner with God to ensure that the message he has for his people is truly impacting and shaping them spiritually? Stop for a minute. I don't know if any of you would call this out because maybe this isn't something you want to broadcast, but think about how many hours in a week you spend preparing your sermon. I'm guessing we would have a range in this room. Um, I saw a recent poll, it was on Twitter, so I don't know how official it is, but it was a poll of evangelical pastors asking them this question, and in the end, the final result ranged from 13 to 20 hours a week that people put into message preparation. Some of you are thinking, whoa, that's a lot of hours, and others of you are thinking, what am I doing wrong, right? I put in way more than that but 13 to 20 hours of your week invested in a message. And then I totaled that along with the hours that the children's volunteer or pastor spends preparing the message they have for your children and the hours that the small group leader prepares their message that they have for the small flock you've given them to shepherd. And I started to realize that there are a whole lot of hours being invested in preparing messages that we hope and pray will form our people spiritually. But the question is, what's the rate of return in terms of their actual formation? What do we really expect a family or a subgroup of the church to be discussing and acting upon in the hours and days following a typical Sunday morning gathering? If you've just preached a a sermon about the power of the Holy Spirit, while the children's ministry spent the morning focused on the great flood and the story of the ark, And the youth ministry led a discussion about the Beatitudes, and the senior adult ministry was discussing Richard Rohr's falling upward. And someone in the women's ministry posted a Bible reading plan on the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk or whatever Steve called it last night, right? At some point, you start to realize that when you ask somebody after the service, what did you learn today? The easy answer really is to say I learned about Jesus. (laughs) So this got me thinking What would happen if the various ministries of our churches worked collaboratively to discern a message that God had for their church in a given season and then coordinate the presentation of that message to the congregation in a holistic manner? Is it possible that the power of the story of God and the formational potential of the preached word is tremendously augmented when the entire church, all groups, all generations, are focused on the same portion or the same message in a strategic and purposeful manner? And what would the potential outcome or the spiritual yield be if we were to block out certain seasons of the year where we coordinated each and every ministry of the church to focus on that singular message? It sounds good in theory, right? The question is, how on earth does this happen? What's it look like in a real-life church with real people and preachers who are accustomed to doing things in a particular way, which is probably not this way? We embarked upon this journey a number of years ago here at College Church, and it's been an adventure, and we've learned some things, and we've had some bumps, and we're still figuring a lot of things out. But back when we started this, we began to call this an all-church campaign. I'm guessing that being in the church, you're not unfamiliar with the word campaign. It probably um, conjures up some something in your head when I just say it. It might be a a capital campaign where you're raising funds for a building or a project or a program that you hope to start. It might be a book campaign. Maybe you've done a book campaign with your church where you're all reading the same thing, hoping to move in a certain direction or um, a discipline campaign like 40 Days of Prayer and Fasting. I was at a church that faithfully did an outreach campaign where once a year, we spent several weeks just focused on ministries in our community and world um, that we we really zeroed in on more than our interior life for that season. We don't have an unfamiliarity with the idea of an all-church emphasis, but when it comes to the entire church being focused on the same message or portion of God's word together, I found that there's a special set of disciplines that I think are required from us as preachers, and as leaders of the church. And I wanna just walk through those with you today. I'm sure there are many more. This is simply me telling you what I've learned this far in the journey. And I put the clicker down somewhere and I'm, where did I put it? Oh, there it is. Okay, so number one, seek the message of the Lord for our congregations corporately. To do this, I think it requires teamwork and humility and trust and also planning. Because you see, normally our practice is we send the preaching pastor to ascend the mountain to listen to the word of the Lord and then bring it down to the people. Those of us on staff or our volunteers and say, this is the direction that we're going. But, but inquiring of the Lord corporately requires the entire team, volunteers and staff alike to spend time listening for God's leading while also being attuned to where the congregation we've been given to shepherd is presently living. Because let's face it, we can be on fire to preach and have a message that God has divinely inspired in us. But if we're not in tune with where our congregation is presently living at in their spiritual journey, or if we're not aware of what's happening in the world that encompasses our immediate community, then there's no amount of vigor or vim or enthusiasm from a preacher or her message that will truly transform those who are listening. This corporate seeking of the Lord's message requires also an incredible amount of humility and trust on the part of you as the preacher this is true on many levels because it's really probably in m- most cases much easier to work independently and to just let each ministry or ministry leader in your church do his or her own thing after all it's all about jesus right so it's good But the power of a collaborative focus amongst the ministries and the message of your church has incredible potential to be the thing that inspires and compels the community of your church to be truly changed and formed by the message God has given you. Seeking the message of the Lord corporately also has to be strategic. It requires a fair bit of planning on your part as the preacher and a willingness to seek God's direction for a particular season of your church's life. You have to prepare early enough so that each of the players who are leading your church can plan a contribution to make towards that message's transmission to your congregation. I often wonder why we assume the Holy Spirit only inspires us with a word the week that it needs to be preached. That happens, right? God wakes us up in the middle of the night and either says, we're not going that way, or I have something else for you to share, But in the same way that he is faithful to do that, to wake us from a dead sleep and send us in a different direction, I believe and I have seen where God is faithful when we let him know that our desire is to communicate his message corporately together together, to tell us six to 12 months in advance where he wants us to go if we will simply seek him together. I'm gonna do it again. The second thing then is that we need to stop doing things during this particular season that don't align with communicating the specific message God has given us for our communities. Mm -hmm. This is like truly pushing pause on regular activities within your church if they don't directly benefit or align with what the team has been called to communicate and promote in that season. If we want the message to truly penetrate the community, then we have to remove extraneous activities and messages, even if they're good ones, in order to illuminate the importance of the message that we want to communicate, that we are called to communicate and have brought to life in our people during this specific campaign. Here again, I think this requires a ton of sacrifice, not only on your part as the preacher, but on everyone's part in your entire church. That lovely lady who coordinates the monthly women's tea might have to be asked not to do it this month if it doesn't align with what we really want people to be focused in on. The children's ministry might regularly utilize a curriculum that they love, but if that curriculum doesn't align with the message we're wanting to communicate, they might need to get a different curriculum. Or better yet, write one of their own so that the minivan conversation after that Sunday morning experience is parents and children and grandparents having a conversation that's all on the same plane because they've all been talking about the same thing that morning and hearing about the same thing that morning. I tell our team around here, they get sick of me saying it, but I say it all the time to some different people on our team. I say, saying yes to one one thing means saying no to something else. And so in an all-church message campaign, in order to say yes to the message God has given you, you'll have to be willing to say no to even some of your most beloved, long-standing, regular traditions so that the message God has given you can be amplified and focused on and communicated well across the board during this focus season. In my experience, this idea of stopping the other things is one of the most difficult parts of getting people on board with this idea. Because no one wants to lay down his or her normal programming. Staff doesn't wanna do it, the congregation doesn't wanna do it for fear that in laying it down, they're, they're sort of rolling over and saying, okay, this isn't really that important. That's not true, of course, but that's the fear that people live in when you start to talk about this. But I'll tell you, if you can get past that, the fun of this is to note that once you engage in the discipline of doing this type of seasonal alignment or campaign, it becomes a great way to inspire creativity amongst your leadership team. Everybody starts to say, how do I make a contribution to the greater whole? Where can I, too, see fruit of this this truth being lived out by the people who are most directly influenced by my ministry? And... Here's the fun thing. It has the potential of ultimately elevating those regular ministries that you stop doing for a season because people are so welcoming and wanting to come back to them after that season has passed. It's things that they might have otherwise started to take for granted. And when you take a break from them and you come back to them, they realize how much they love them and how important they really are. The third discipline then that's required, I think of us as preachers and leaders in the church in this area of all church campaigns is, <clears throat> where to point it, Uh, seeding the weekly schedule outside of Sunday mornings with opportunities for our people to practice a discipline or a behavior that is a direct and a natural outlet of the message's core. The question you ask here is, what is the long-term fruit that you believe this message is to produce within the life of a believer in this community? I think a lot of times we assume that if we just preach it at them, they'll know what to do. I assure you, this isn't the case. So we have to give them opportunities as a body to put feet to the message that God has given us. This might mean calling your people to practice a particular discipline during the week. You might challenge the church to pick a day of the week to be praying together or to fast together. Um, It could also be creating some type of service project that's sort of the catalyst for what you hope becomes a regular discipline in their lives. A number of years ago at College Church, we uh, were focused, we believe God had focused us um, for a season on helping people understand their identity as children of God. And this was a radical concept for people. They didn't realize they had so much trouble with this, but they really struggled with it when we got into it. And so one day we just took a Sunday afternoon and we rented out a local recreation center. And we just invited everybody to come and play Because it seemed to us that there was a disconnect people had in understanding their role as children of God. They were all too serious. They took themselves too seriously. And so maybe we just needed to come together for an afternoon and kind of re-engage that idea of being childlike and playing together. Here's the thing. We didn't commit to doing it for the rest of time. This didn't become Sunday afternoons at the local rec center sponsored by College Church. We did it one time. The hope that it was something catalytic for families to engage in together or people to realize, yeah, I do take myself too seriously and there is something to be said about playing and embracing my inner child so that I can begin to, in deeper levels, understand my role as a child of God. So seed your campaign with these types of experiences and practical outlets of your message. And then the fourth one would be to select targeted and prime seasons within the life of your church for these all-church campaigns. I love this stuff. I have found it to be so uh, powerful in terms of really seeing corporate growth and movement in the life of a church. So I think it has a great impact. But I also think there's a value to having seasons where various ministry areas are able to program and discern God's messages for a particular subset of a congregation independently. This is, after all, why we have children's ministry, and why we have outreach ministry, and why we have small groups Because there are parts of our formation that are best grown and groomed in a contextualized setting. Children will probably learn basic Bible stories best through a Sunday school ministry, because that's what they're designed to do, help kids be familiar with Scripture and the story of who we are as a people. And I think small groups are the best place for us to be discipled by peers, right? You can't do that in a Sunday morning sermon, what you can accomplish in a small group setting. So this is one of the reasons why I say select targeted seasons to do this. Don't go full bore on this and say, all the time, we're all going to be saying the same message. The other reason not to do that is because taking on one of these all church campaigns, no matter what size your church is, it's, it's somewhat of a Herculean task. I'm not going to lie to you. This is a big, hairy deal. And it's a lot of work to get everybody working in tandem and moving in the same direction. And so while it's a wonderful thing for so many reasons, it's, again, not likely that we should do it all the time for fear of running both our staff and our volunteers and our congregation members a little ragged. So my suggestion is that you take a look at the rhythms and the routines of your congregations and you select a few times each year when it seems natural and most productive to have everyone looking in the same direction and on the same page. For us here at College Church, uh, we've identified two distinct seasons where this practice of all church campaigning seems most beneficial. The first is in the fall. People have been all over for the summer. They've been on vacations. Their schedules are all over the place. No one knows if they're coming or going. And in the fall, they're becoming reoriented with kids being in school and the sun not staying out quite as long and all of those good things. And they just seem primed and ready to sort of be focused in a particular direction. For us, this is when college students come back too. And so we found it's a great time to get everybody looking in that same direction and engaging in practices to reorient ourselves as a collective body. The other time then for us is right after the holidays in January. Again, holidays send everybody's schedule into tizzy. And so people sort of look to the church, I think, to like reorient me here, people. I got to get back on track with whether it's not eating chocolate for every meal of the day or it's, you know, just routines of going to sleep at a normal hour and praying and all of those good things. And so for us, these are the two primary seasons where it just seems to work right now for an all-church campaign. You may find in your church it's a completely different part of the year. And so I really do encourage you to be selective in approaching an emphasis like this, both in when you do it and how often you do it. If you've never done it before, please let me encourage you to try it once. Gather your leaders, talk about it, make a plan together, seek the Lord together first and foremost. And then before you schedule another one, debrief with that same group of leaders and your congregation and find out, did it really move us collectively like a big amoeba from one place to the next? Did it accomplish what we wanted it to? Or do we need to rethink how we approach this in the days ahead? I would love to know, I would love to turn you loose at your tables for just a minute to talk about this idea of a singular message within your congregations. And the question I want you to answer is, what are the obstacles in getting your church onto the same page I've mentioned a few of them, but what are the other obstacles that you run into when you think about this idea? Maybe you've never tried it before, but you immediately were like, oh, that sounds good, but, and you had an idea. Share that with one another. Let's take a few minutes to talk about that. Okay, you can keep talking on that, but if you've had any experience getting your church on a singular message page, how has that gone, and and what advice do you have for others at your table that maybe haven't done this before? Talk for another couple minutes about that. Glean from one another's wisdom. Okay, I know it's late in the day. Would anybody be brave enough to share one example of an obstacle that you've come up against or that you can imagine coming up against? And if you don't want to share your own, just say it somebody else is at your table. <laughs> or share one on behalf of someone else at your table. An obstacle? Yes, sir. Our church is So trying to the time to coordinate it all and bring it all together. They all trying to find Sure. So you might actually need to extend the amount of planning time. You might have to seek the Lord's leading a couple of years in advance to get everybody on the same page and redo do it. But certainly an obstacle. Yep. What? One more? One more obstacle? Sacred cows. Sacred cows. Yes. And I only wish you meant the actual animal. Um, yeah. Right. These things that that whole stop doing. Uh, oh my word! You're going to hit. You know, a lot of obstacles there. Or the whole thing of, well, why are we doing it this way? We've never done it this way before. We don't even know if we like the way we're doing it. which just how we've always done it. So why are we doing it differently? Yeah, so here again, I think communicating well in advance to your congregation, what's about to happen to them well in advance is, a, is, is one of the ways that you could help to at least intersect that obstacle. Anybody have a good experience with this that they wanna share what happened as a result to their congregation? Yes, sir. I this soul shift thing <laughs> Well, I think there is a children's curriculum. Yes. It's Steve's fault. Just talk to him afterwards. (laughs) And give his email address. Any good stories? (laughs) Anybody have a good experience where you've tried to get everybody on the same page and you've seen a movement or growth of your church? Yes, sir. That's awesome. Yeah, sometimes we get freaked out by this idea, especially as preachers, because we're like, I don't want to get boxed in to something. You know? But the truth is, if your planning can be um, the ballpark, but not telling somebody what the section is that they have to sit in or the exact seat number that they have, just get, get everybody in the same ballpark. And I don't mean the Bible. That's a little too big. That's like the same nation, okay? But get them in the same ballpark and then give them lots of liberty to create and, and uh, interpret how that message needs to be communicated to their people in a contextualized way. I mean, because we all, usually don't work with children unless you're passionate about children's spiritual growth and you're not working as a small group leader unless you believe in peer discipleship. Um, so give people an opportunity to come alongside and work with you in your plan. I think that's a great story. That's great. Well, We're out of time. Um, if any of you want to talk about this later, I would love to chat with you. Um, but let me pray for you, um, and then Nathan's going to come up and give us next instructions. God, um, it would be so easy for us to think as preachers, um, all we need is our call and a message from you. And yet, if we haven't engaged the task of preparing our communities, the people that you've given us to shepherd, then our words may be nothing more than strings of eloquent words that have no lasting impact on your children. And so, God, we ask that you would continue to make us holistic preachers who are concerned with all three aspects and elements and give us creative vision for how we can prep and prepare our communities to receive your important messages. Thank you for each of these servants, and I pray that you would continue to bless and grow their ministries. In your name we pray. Amen.